welcome to the Vacation Impossible podcast for Wednesday, December 5th. I am currently on the Carnival Inspiration, and we are sailing back from Ensenada to Long Beach. Tomorrow we have a fun day at sea. And uh, in case you didn't notice, this is a solo raycast this time around. Sam's still not too keen on being on the podcast, which is totally fine. So, uh, lots of topics to cover in this podcast episode. So I'm just going to dive right in. First, just uh, talking about the trip so far. So it's been a good trip. This is our annual Ensenada trip. So in 2013, I went on my first cruise with Burton. And it was on this very ship, on this very sailing. And that was six years ago. It was, yeah, March 2013. Uh, And so basically every year I redo the four-day sailing just because it's often a good deal if you go at the right time. And it uh, it just makes good sense. So it's a, you know and it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a good little sail. It's four days, and um, the cruise rate we got on this was fifty six dollars per day um, per person before all the taxes and fees and things. So that's a pretty good rate. Uh, it's cheaper than you're going to get any hotel. Uh, we're going to eat that much worth of food every day. I figure so it's going pretty good. Um, you know we went to Catalina. And uh, basically, we just walked around and uh, scammed for some Wi-Fi. We've been to Catalina several times in the past. We've done, you know, the uh, we've done the golf cart thing twice. Uh, so we didn't feel like doing any particular excursion this time around. And then today in Ensenada, we tried a new restaurant that we hadn't been to before. I don't know how new the restaurant is, but it was new to us. And it's called the 240 Grill. And uh, it was really quite good. Uh, I am very spice averse i don't like spicy food very much so you know um i'm I'm often leery of sort of the super authentic um food sometimes because i also am not a big fan of beans and things like that so uh, unfortunately my regular ensenada place had closed down recently um the tacos del sol so i needed to find an alternative uh and it's real shame because i really love that place but uh yeah so the 240 grill uh it's a little spicy um but you know i was able to make it work i had got myself a barbecue shrimp taco sam had um uh he had uh what was it octopus and um uh marlin tacos uh the first taco was marlin the second one was octopus it wasn't them both in the same one uh, and he had a he had a beer, Dos Equis. I had two bottles of Coke, uh, and that all came to less than twenty dollars Canadian after you converted. It was two ninety five pesos, two hundred ninety five pesos, which a uh, little Ray math says is uh, nineteen something Canadian. So uh, that's that's really good. The um, you know there was a guy out there. They're not pushy at all, unlike all those other places. You walk down downtown Ensenada, and they're all like you know offering you tons of stuff, and it's a really aggressive sale. They'll follow you for like a solid block as you're walking along. And just constantly try to sell you on things. And I'm not a big fan of that hard sale pitch at all. So when we get to this place, it's a couple blocks out of the sort of the downtown core. But, you know, it's still fine. But it gets you away from that sales pitchy environment. And so there's just a nice guy. You know, he was there. He spoke uh, English out front. And he was sort of explaining the menu options and making different offerings and stuff. Uh, and they had Wi-Fi. Uh, so he was able to give us the Wi-Fi password. And here's a funny thing is uh, I get my, my barbecue shrimp taco and I take a picture. And I posted it on the Vacation Impossible Facebook page. 
If you want to find us on Facebook, we're facebook.com slash vacation impossible. So I posted the picture there right away and I tagged the location. And before I was finished eating the taco, the guy had gone in on their uh, Facebook account and clicked the, the like love button for that. And so I'm finishing up my taco and he comes by and says, hey, man, thanks for the review because I said I recommend it. Um, uh, so I think I had, I had taken a couple of bites, then I posted it, and it was before I had finished that he'd came by and thanked me for that. So that was pretty cool. So these guys are really, uh, they're, they're, they, they look kind of hole in the wall. They're next to, um, the next to a place called Beto's Chicken, which wasn't open. Um, and so it looks like a tiny little shack almost, but they've got some pretty cutting edge technology with their mobile device. And so they're able to take credit cards and email you the receipt. So that's pretty awesome. And I like the accountability there of having, having all of that. So that's quite nice. So I do recommend them. Uh, so yeah. And then tomorrow we've got our, our uh, day at sea. So it's interesting. They call these, uh, four day sailings out of Long Beach, the section eight cruise, which I believe is a reference to, uh, socialized housing in the United States. But basically it's, it means that it's kind of like the cheap cruise. And so you get a lot of, and I, I don't buy into that fully, but there's every now and then where you see certain people behaving a certain way and you're like, yeah, okay. Um, just because they are obviously not like a lot of blue cards, infrequent cruisers, um, you know, that sort of thing. People who are, you know, they're doing well enough to be able to go on a cruise, but they're, they, they seem to be struggling a little bit in different ways. Um, and so it's interesting. We, I just came back from the main dining room, MDR, and there's this table. We've been doing early dining, the sailing. So it's six o'clock every day. You get the same table every day, same wait staff. And there's some nice consistency there. I like not having to wait for the table and that consistency, but your neighbors are consistent too, for good or ill. And in this case, it's not so great. Um, there's this one rather large family with several children and uh, I was saying to Sam, I feel like I'm sitting next to Charlie X at Chuck E. Cheese. So Charlie X is an episode of the original Star Trek TV show where there was a kid who had tons of power, um, you know, sort of like a god or something. And so all of the adults were afraid to say no to him. Uh, it's also a reference and a redo of a, a classic Twilight Zone episode that you may be familiar with. So uh, there, there were these, holy terror might be overselling it, but they were very difficult children. Um, and I mean, I don't want to make huge assumptions. Maybe there's a learning disability or something, but, uh, basically it seemed like the parents were afraid to say anything critical or say, they did say no on occasion, but it, it was basically when what they were doing clearly impacted someone else. Like when they hit me with a napkin, only then did they say no to the child. They didn't apologize to me. I don't care that apology wouldn't do much for me, but that was the, it was only when, you know, they flung potato at some, at another guest or something, would they actually say no uh, but then even after having to say no and all the, you know, because they're just, you know, they're throwing their toys at other uh, guests and stuff. At the end, they were like, oh, you get two desserts because you were so well behaved. I'm like, what? Are you kidding? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And I try not to judge too much, try to objectify. I don't know what people are going through. But one thought that did occur to me is I wonder how many people, uh, maybe newer cruisers, don't know about Camp Ocean or on some ships, I think it's still called Camp Carnival, which I hesitate to call it free babysitting, but that's kind of what it is. It's an easy way of explaining the concept, but it's really, it's an activity camp for kids uh, above the age of two. 
uh, up until, you know, uh, late teens. Uh, and there's different sort of levels and different activities that are age appropriate and they're grouped together. So uh, like when Julian, our sort of the youngest member of Vacation Impossible Cruises, he spends tons of time there. He loves having dinner with them, pulling him away from that to have dinner with us. We often have to do a sales pitch to him. And when, but when he does come, he's well behaved, of course. And so, you know, that's not an issue for us. But um, these parents were obviously struggling. I mean, they were they were very much enjoying their wine. And you could tell the look on their face that they were stressed by, the, you know, the kids not having patience for this very sort of adult sit down experience. And it was kind of souring experience for the neighbors. And so, yeah, I, I kind of want to say, like, let them know, because if there's a knowledge gap there, I'd want to help, but I wouldn't want it to come across as me complaining about them. So uh, just kind of let let it all be. It's a four-day cruise. It doesn't really matter. I'm still having a great time. Uh, but that was just sort of an interesting uh, thing. And um, yeah, so that's sort of this trip so far. In terms of trips we have coming up, we are booked on the Panorama. And that's uh, basically a year from now. So that's going to be the Panorama's second ever sailing. It's uh, sailing out of Long Beach. That's going to be its home port. So the first sailing is like a three-day to Ensenada. We didn't do that because the daily rate was actually really high. And partially, I think that's because it's its first ever cruise. For the Panorama, rather than doing any kind of like trips out of Barcelona or Transatlantic or Trans-Pacific or anything like that, uh, apparently uh, the lifeboats are not going to be fully ready until it... Like, like they're doing the final work on it as it's transiting across. So uh, its first sail ever will actually be out of its home port of Long Beach. Um, and that first sailing, that three-day, the daily rate is just really, really high. I couldn't justify it. It didn't make sense to me. Um, so we're going to go on the second sailing, which is going to be a seven-day, which goes to Cabo San Lucas, Puerto Vallarta, and Mazatlan, which is a trip that we've done before on the Miracle of the Splendor. Uh, but this is our first time that we're going to be on a Vista class, and unless we book something between now and then <laughs> that actually happens. But that's, uh, that's really quite exciting. We're looking forward to it. Um, the people who go on the first sailing, maybe they'll be the ones who will spot all the problems that maybe the kinks will be worked out for our second sailing. But it'll be the first time that ship goes to those ports and sails for more than three days. So that's pretty cool. We've got a family harbor extended balcony, I believe it's called. Um, that was actually a mistake on my part. I was booking it while somebody was talking to me about it and unrelated things. I had meant to book just a standard extended balcony, and I was looking at the prices of the harbor, uh, the family harbor balcony, and I was doing the math in my head while somebody's talking to me and throwing a bunch of numbers at me, and um, I was trying to calculate whether it would still be within what we call our affordability range. We've talked about that before on the, on the podcast, and we've got a video on YouTube about that. Um, and so without me giving it a hundred percent of my attention, um, I didn't really calculate it right. And so I forgot to multiply it by, I think either the number of the days or the number of people. And so it did push it just above our affordability range. So on a daily rate, this is actually going to be our most expensive cruise ever. Um, but at the same time, I'm kind of excited about this new kind of cabin that is exclusive to the Vista class and we've never been on before. So, you know, a little bit of extra money for that. It's not, a, I don't feel that much regret about it. It was a, it was a minor mistake, really. But it, uh, sometimes mistakes can lead you to amazing new opportunities. And so this feels like that could be one of those things. And we're looking forward to showing it to you. Also, my affordability range has been basically based on my first ever cruise in 2013 with Burton. It was a four-day, but the daily rate was super expensive because we went on spring break, which was sort of a rookie cruiser mistake uh, in terms of if you care about saving money. 
So every cruise I've been on since then as a daily per person rate has been less than that. But that was six years ago. So we're looking at six years of inflation are going to be pushing prices up. So I'm going to need to at some point extend my definition of affordable. Um, one of the things I've been noticing uh, and other people have as well with Carnival is there are a lot more um, a lot more per usage pay things that are coming up. You know, a lot more pay restaurants and prices are going up. Gratuities are going up. We'll be talking about that later. Uh, different different costs are going up. And I frankly wish I, I'm, I'm, I'm torn on it. Um, and so I guess I'll just I'll just dive into that topic. So basically um, what's happening is they are increasing the uh, the gratuity amounts and it's not just the sort of the daily gratuity that has gone up effective December 1st. So this was a few, that uh, was effective a few days ago. If you had added it to your cruise prior to that, you locked in the old gratuity rate. Um, but it's too late now, obviously, because we're into December. So there's that. But they've also apparently increased the percentage of auto gratuity they put onto things. This normally used to be 15 percent. And I think it's gone up to 18 I actually haven't seen that because on this cruise I've been pretty cheap. I haven't actually ordered anything that would have gratuity on it right now. Um, but I probably will tomorrow because I've got a little bit of onboard credit that I want to use up. So um, that's uh, – I understand that it's a publicly traded company that needs to make money and pay dividends to its shareholders. And it's just – it's like any company. It needs to make, make a profit. Inflationary pressures, costs are going up in different areas. That's going to happen over time. And so I'm torn. Half of me really wishes that they would just build more – like they would just increase the base cost. And you would get more included. Because then it's less of a whack-a-mole game of trying not to accidentally order the wrong kind of water at dinner or whatever, and then you get a surcharge because you got the bottled water and not basically the tap water. So stuff like that. I, I, I don't like that as an experience. And I'm, a, a, a big part of it is my concern over trying to convince more family and friends to come on cruises with me because I really enjoy it. And I think more the merrier is absolutely a true thing. So... My thinking is, is the, uh, the other half of me that's torn on this is what if the price, the base price was raised, would that be harder to convince new people to give it a try? If the base price is lower, do they feel like it's less of a risk? So I can, I can, I, I can sympathize with Carnival about probably those competing priorities. Um, I suppose if I had a message for Carnival, it would be to if you need new revenue streams to build it into new features and options like digital offerings through the app, um, you know, other things of convenience that aren't currently there rather than starting to charge or charge more for existing services, because then it feels like a degradation of service to existing customers who remember when we used to get the chocolates on the pillow every night and now that's gone and things like that. And it's hard not to feel like you're getting less value over time, but that's how they keep the prices so low, despite infl inflationary pressure. So I get it. It's it's uh, it's a challenge. I sympathize. Uh, and so they're just doing the best they can. And uh, we'll see sort of where that goes. Um, but right now, the Panorama is the only other sailing that we have booked. We are having discussions about a lot of different things. Uh, we just recently started talking about maybe a return to Hawaii, which could be very exciting. Uh, and also, personally, one of my favorite bands of all time, Hootie and the Blowfish, are uh, doing a tour and a new album in 2019. And so none of their concert dates are near Vancouver. 
So I would be looking at like Toronto, Las Vegas, or LA, probably some of the closer options to where I live. And so timing that along with a vacation makes really good sense. So if it's LA, obviously I could do the four day, my annual Ensenada trip, we could tag that on. Um, Nevada, you know, uh, Las Vegas, we haven't been there many, many years. I've been there six times now, but it's been several years. So there might be some new stuff to see. Um, and so I don't know. We'll see. Uh, New York is one of the locations. So we might be looking into New York or something else. It would be lovely to see them in concert again and then tag a cruise or some other vacation onto that. And of course, there could be a Murray Marathon next year. Uh, you don't know. Uh, and some of the dates are around likely Murray Marathon dates. So that's tricky. For our uh, podcast listeners, I do want to apologize for any noise that you're getting. We are on a cruise ship, and a cruise ship is a, a functioning vessel, and it is part hotel. So there'll be people walking down the hallway behind us talking. They might be performing some forms of maintenance or doing other things. So um, just uh, you know, that's just the, the nature of the beast uh, here on a cruise ship. And we are, um, you know, we, we try to record on location. So that's just how that goes. This podcast is actually sponsored. We have our first ever sponsor, and I want to tell you all about them because these are actually some amazing people. They are Stupid Robot Fighting League on YouTube. Now, what is that? What is a Stupid Robot Fighting League? This is amazing. They're based out of New Zealand. They get these um, contraptions. They're not really robots because they, they have no moving parts per se. They've got no mechanical motors. They've got no programming, no computer. It's kind of like a dummy, but they're built and you hang them in a metal frame, so one on either side, and then someone sits behind them in a chair and attaches broomsticks to all their limbs, to the limbs of the stupid robot, and then they just fight it out. It's like bashing two puppets together, but it's far more complicated than that. They start off with taunts that are hilarious, and then they go several rounds, and it's absolutely amazing. So I highly recommend you check out Stupid Robot Fighting League on YouTube. They are absolutely hilarious, and they are our very first ever sponsor of this podcast. So thank you very much for that. They're big supporters of Vacation Impossible, and uh, we really appreciate all of their support. Uh, John, who runs and manages the group and the channel, is absolutely fantastic. He's the one that recently challenged us to make a mukbang video on YouTube, if you can believe it. So uh, absolutely check them out, and if you have any interest in sponsoring Sponsoring the podcast, reach out to us. Uh, the best way is through email team at vacationimpossible.ca, and then we can discuss whatever uh, you might be interested in. So, thank you very much, Stupid Robot Fighting League on YouTube, based in New Zealand. We've got uh, some interesting questions have been submitted to us. I love it when people who have never cruised before submit questions. And so, we've got a few uh, for this podcast that I'm really looking forward to sinking our teeth into and answering some questions. So, the first question that came in recently was Is Belize a bad port? Um, and so, as with any port, you're going to get a variety of different opinions. That's normal. Uh, and so, I can't fully speak to the whole experience. I mean, talking about an entire port is like talking like about an entire city. And so it's really hard to know it in full depth. But I can talk about my personal experiences. I've been to Belize twice. Both times I went, the weather wasn't fantastic. And what I really want to do in Belize is cave tubing. 
But every time I've been there, the weather or the forecast was not very favorable, and so I decided not to do it. So until I've tried cave tubing, I don't feel like I can give you a complete review. But I can tell you a few things about the port. Uh, for one thing, of the various ports that I've been to in my now 20 cruises, this is the one that is a tendered port that has the longest tender ride. We're talking probably well in excess of 20 minutes. Because there is a coral reef around Belize that is protected, the cruise ships can't get very close to it and you have to transfer to a tender and I love a tender ride so for me a tender ride is like an attraction or adventure a thing on your own uh, and so I love the tender ride into Belize once you get into Belize the area around the port is very sort of touristy tourist trappy whatever you want to call it very tightly packed lots of people kind of trying to get you to come into their restaurant uh, you know musicians playing music uh, stores all this kind of stuff very densely packed and full and full of people um, and so that can be very peopley, just in case that's a thing that you might be concerned about. Uh, you know, too many people, too, uh, uh, too little room, too little space, very crowded. Uh, and then you can get outside of that touristy area and walk around. When we, we did that our second time there, and so we walked around. There's a couple places where you can take your picture with a, with a sign that says Belize and stuff like that. And there's some nice views, but it feels economically depressed. So there is little markets and stuff. There's not a lot of people selling to you outside of it, like not aggressive selling from my experience. There were just people set up almost like a flea market. Uh, with like wood carvings and local uh, spices and hot sauce and things like that. Um, walking around, did we feel safe? It, kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, I, I didn't feel safe as I do in Cozumel uh, or other ports. So I didn't feel particularly safe, but I didn't feel particularly at risk either. But it does feel very economically depressed. So like the sidewalks are falling apart. Um, it, it seems like there's there's a lot of poverty in the area. So make your own judgments with that information. Make decisions for yourself. My recommendation for Belize, though, is either have an excursion booked or just basically plan on taking the tender there and back and don't have much into don't expect doing much more than that. And you'll probably be do you'll probably do fine. Carnival has been rolling out a change to its ships over the last probably year or so where a lot of the ships, you actually receive your sail and sign card on the ship rather than at check-in. So the old process was, you know, you do your online check-in, you show up at the port and you complete sort of your check-in where they take your picture and they give you your card. And that's been changing where instead they get you to hold on to your printout of your check-in and you get the card when you're on the ship. And so they are in envelopes that are generally sealed and placed in either the mail slot or somehow just outside your cabin door. Uh, if there's no mail slot, it'll be kind of like, you know, uh, jammed into the uh, the room number uh, sort of uh, uh, placard thing, which is funny because we actually used to, when, before we got our magnet, we would put our Vacation Impossible business cards in there to help identify our room. So. This is an interesting thing. So the idea is if your room's not ready yet, for example, you can use this check-in form of yours, this printout, to order drinks on your sale and sign card and, and things like that. Use that to sort of get onto the ship and then you get your card later. And that's interesting because there is, I guess the natural concern would be that it's not as secure because these, these cards are just hanging out outside people's rooms. You could in theory go and grab anybody, any old person's card. However, they do tag your picture to it. So if you were to go and use that card to try and get off the ship or order something, your picture would come up, the staff would see it. 
So the only real risk there, I guess, is if you had the card, you'd have access to a cabin. Um, but let's say that you took somebody else's card, tried to access their cabin, but they come on board, they see there's no card there, they go to guest services. Guest services would probably deactivate the existing card and reissue a new one. So, you know, I don't see, I, I don't see there's actually much risk there. I think that it's, it's probably fine. Um, and I'm guessing it makes it faster. Um, because it feels like a faster process now that they've made this change when I've experienced it. Some ports I don't think it fully switched over yet. And so I think that's fine. Um, and it's interesting because I've checked in at some ports uh, where they didn't take my picture. And I think that the picture they basically ended up having on file, they somehow pulled from my passport, which is kind of impressive and slightly scary that they're able to interface with customs to do that. Uh, but I guess that makes sense because they have to work hand in glove with, uh, with them on a security level. Um, but then on this sailing, they did take my picture, but again, I didn't get my card until I was on the ship. So it's, it's interesting. So basically your check-in experience may vary from ship to ship, but I don't think there's any real concerns. Just try to stay adaptable and, and know that these options are out there and you should be totally fine. Speaking of check-in, Carnival has recently changed their online check-in process, which is a shame because we made a tutorial video not too long ago, earlier this year, and unfortunately it looks like that tutorial video is now somewhat dated. Their website's been updated. It looks like it's a little bit more mobile friendly, I think, um, because the screens are, uh, the text is larger, the entry fields and everything, and it's a whole bunch of like single screens that you go through where you just enter a little bit of data, where before you could do a whole lot on a single page. So the experience isn't drastically different, but cosmetically it is different. You won't see the exact screens that you uh, would currently see in our tutorial video. So I am actually working on a new tutorial video that will show you the updated online check-in process. And because it looked like it was more mobile focused, the previous check-in I did was on a desktop. I'm doing this one on a tablet, so you can kind of see how it's different, and uh, I think it's a little bit more designed for that kind of interface. So it'll hopefully give you something a little bit different if that's useful to you, or something you wanna share with someone that you plan on cruising with who doesn't have a lot of experience doing the online check-in. If that makes them more comfortable going and, and have fewer questions going through it, so much the better. We're really happy to help people out with that sort of thing. So one of the questions we received recently from someone who has yet to go on their first cruise is how does the in-person check-in process work? So this is sort of one of our Carnival Basics topics for people who haven't really cruised before. Um, so we've got our tutorial video up on YouTube and there's gonna be an update to that on how to do the online check-in. But what's it like once you're there physically in person? What's that like? So one thing you're absolutely gonna wanna do as part of your online check-in process is you do have the opportunity to print out your check-in form. It also allows you to print like baggage tags and general information and that is up to you, but you absolutely want to print your check-in form. And so this will have your name on it, it'll have your cabin number, it'll have your arrival time, that kind of information, very important. You want to have a physical printout of this with you, the piece of paper in your hands when you're at the port, getting ready to go on the ship. And you're also going to want to have your passport. Now, as Canadian cruisers, we always use passports. You, there might be some options where you can do other things. We don't know a lot about that. But even if you do, I highly recommend just using a passport. It is universally identifiable. And, it, and because it is compatible with so many computer systems and people are trained on passports, it's going to make your time easier. So my advice is just have a passport. It's better all the way around. 
So you want to show up with this printout and your passport. Have the printout inserted into your passport to the picture page so that it's all there and accessible very quickly. So that's half of the prep you're going to want to do. The other half of your preparation before going to the port or once you arrive at port is you're going to be going through a security check that is similar to the airport. It's not quite as rigorous it feels sometimes, like, I, like they don't ask you to take your shoes off. Um, but it's basically like that. So you're going through a metal detector. So my advice is before you get in that lineup, take a second to take all the metal things and put it in your backpack or your, or, or your, uh, your, your luggage. So, you know, your watch, your cell phone, your glasses, your belt, a lot of those things don't actually have metal or not enough metal to trip the, the sensor if it's just like a little screw or something, like the little screw in your glasses. But if, if you don't need the glasses to see, I recommend just putting all that in your bag. It makes it go faster and it makes it go easier. And, you know, there's enough going on that you don't need that distraction or that delay. So... That's basically it. Go in with your printed out check-in form, your passport, and all the metal stuff, the change, the keys in your pocket, whatever, in your backpack. You're not supposed to be taking pictures or filming or being on your phone uh, in the security area anyways. So if you're thinking, oh, you know, what if I want to, you know, text somebody or take a picture or something, in the security area, you shouldn't be doing that anyway. So just put it in your bag. Once you're through security, then you can bust it out. And going forward, you can, you can do those things. But just through the security line. So normally, when you arrive at the port, and let's say you've got all that stuff ready to go, there's going to be carnival staff out, and there's going to be signs that'll tell you where to go. If you have faster to the fun, or you are a platinum or diamond guest or a sweet guest, you have priority. And it'll say that on your printout. It'll say the word priority. And there will be a separate lineup for those people. Otherwise, um, it's just a basic general lineup. There might have a lineup based on your check-in time that'll be pre-assigned when you go through the online process. But it's pretty straightforward. Uh, so you'll go up and normally there'll be someone who will verify your documents just to make sure, you know, that you are the person on the picture and that you're there at the correct time in the correct place. It's nothing too rigorous. In the past, there used to be a health questionnaire. You had to declare if you were pregnant, all this other stuff. It seems like Carnival has completely gotten away with that paperwork. I have encountered at some ports still that they might have a tablet where they verbally ask you the questions. Um, but you don't have to worry about any extra paperwork. So it's just the one piece of paper, your passport, and have all the metal stuff in your luggage and you're good to go. So after that first initial check-in, then you'll go through security while you put your stuff up on the metal detector and it'll go through. You'll walk through a metal detector and if it goes off, they might wand you, take the stuff out of your pocket, make you go back. That's why it's a good idea to have all the metal in your bags. Uh, but ideally, you just walk through. Uh, if you have a hat, take the hat off and hold it so they can see the inside. They might want to touch the brim just to make sure it's okay. It goes super fast. They're super polite. They normally have a good sense of humor. Uh, on this particular uh, trip, there, there, there were people, staff, that were singing <laughs> uh, outside the terminal and during the check-in process and even in the security area. So still, people in a really good mood for the most part. And that's, that's pretty much it. Then you just follow signs to get on the ship. Now, if you're there early or there's a delay, you might have to wait in sort of uh, some seating areas or whatever. There might be public announcements. Just follow the basic instructions, but it's really straightforward. And if you show up at the appropriate time and you come prepared, generally there's not much of a wait unless their computer program, their computer systems have crashed or something. But by and large, it's a real easy, seamless, almost fun experience. 
And, you know, your, your mileage will vary at different ports, but, like, Long Beach has recently renovated itself, and they've got the seating area. It's really quite nice. It's, it is a very civilized way to go and check in and go through security. So uh, that's pretty much the experience. And, again, they might take your picture uh, after you get through security, continue the check-in, or they may not. And they might give you the card, uh, you know, at the counter after you've gone through security, or it might be waiting for you on the ship. But they'll explain things really well. If you ask for a ship map, they'll give you one that can help you find your way around. Uh, it's really quite an easy process. And uh, once you're on board the ship, if you want to find your cabin, you can ask anybody. They can show you how to get to your cabin. Carnival has recently made a change to their smoking policies. And it's really just in the enforcement side of things. They haven't changed the policy as to what you can smoke and where and all when. That, that stuff is, has remained the same. The penalties have escalated. So now, if you're caught smoking somewhere that you're not supposed to, the penalties can be up to $500 charged against you, and you could get kicked off the ship at the next port. So that is very serious. Carnival is clearly taking this quite seriously. And this might be a controversial thing to say, but I completely support them in this endeavor. I wrote about this on the Vacation Impossible uh, Tumblr blog recently. If you want to follow our blog, it's vacationimpossible.tumblr.com. But I'm all in favor of this because there are just so many reasons. People who have allergies, such as myself, can be really negatively affected by this kind of thing. And it also damages property and it's dangerous. So if you're smoking in your cabin, that is doing damage to the cabin. If you've ever seen, like, and I have seen houses that have been, you know, occupied for like 60 years with non-smokers and others with smokers, the difference, like the walls, the smell, the condition, it degrades the property. So I don't think that Carnival should have to have to pay for these renovations that are unnecessary because people don't follow the rules. So I think having a strong enforcement side of things makes good business sense for Carnival. Um, this applies to people who smoke on their balconies. You're never allowed to smoke on your balcony. And again, uh, that is not only disruptive to other guests and property, it's a massive fire hazard. If an ember or something from whatever you're smoking gets somewhere, um, it, can, it can blow back into the ship and start a fire. It's incredibly dangerous. The most dangerous thing on a ship is a fire. So uh, I'm really glad that they're stepping things up. They're taking it seriously. Now, there's still a question as to how they're going to be enforcing this, because if you're out on your balcony, you smell something, you don't know where it's coming from, that could be problematic and hard to track down. They do have cameras that point at the balconies from sort of like the bridge uh, crops out from the side of the ship, and they've got cameras pointed back at the ship, so they might be able to spot it. Um, so I'm not entirely certain how they uh, identify people. I'm curious. But um, if they do identify you beyond a shadow of a doubt, you could be facing a $500 fine and ejection from the ship at the very next port at your cost. You're going to have to find your own way back home. And uh, that's sort of what happens when you don't follow the clearly explained rules, which are publicly announced during the safety briefing and all other sorts of areas. Like if you're in the comedy club, they'll tell you that you can't smoke there. And this all applies equally to vaping and all the other things, uh, you know, cigars, whatever. Cigars are, in fact, if anything, sometimes they're more restricted depending on the size of the ship. They might just have a one cigar area where they might have two or three smoking areas more generally. So uh, be aware Follow the rules, you know, if, if you want to smoke, there are areas, places, and times where you can do that. Uh, so just avail yourself of that. But if you think that you're, that you don't have to follow the rules, that, that, that they're stupid or you're better than their rules or whatever, um, now the consequences could be greatly escalated versus the past. So, you know, if, if you're going to do that, please don't. But if you do, 
um, know what the consequences of that action could be. Could ruin your entire vacation just because you weren't willing to go up a couple of decks. And you know what? I got to go up a couple of decks to get food, to get a drink, whatever. I think asking people who want to smoke to do the same kind of thing is not a huge and massive inconvenience. So uh, I'm, I, I absolutely applaud Carnival for, for, for doing this. Um, I think it's fantastic. One question that we've gotten recently from someone who hasn't gone on their, on their first cruise yet is what is a tender? They've heard people, including us, talk about tenders, and they didn't know what it was. I actually, just out of curiosity, I asked. I said, what do you think it is? They thought it was a special currency on the ship. And, uh, you know, to experienced cruisers, that's funny um, and it's cute. But from their point of view, it makes sense. You know, if you haven't really been on a ship before, if you haven't been cruising before, you hear tender, you think like a payment method. That's, that's, or, that's a natural organic thing that people could think so here we are to try and another carnival basics topic for you here uh explain what is a tender so a tender is a smaller ship or boat that you take to get from the cruise ship to land in places where the cruise ship can't go right up against the land there could be a couple of reasons. Maybe a dock or a wharf hasn't been built that the cruise ship can go to, or maybe the cruise ship goes so deep into the water it would run aground, or like in the case of Belize, damage a protected coral reef if it were to get too close. So most sailings generally have at least one um, port that they go to that is tendered. It's just the way that it tends to go. No pun intended. <laughs> I could do that all night. But the idea is uh, that, yeah, it, it is the method by which you get to the shore. So, you know, if you think of uh, uh, parts of the Caribbean movie where the pirate ship gets close to the shore, then they get in the dinghy and they row, you know, themselves to the shore. It's the modern day equivalent of that. And I love it. I love a tender ride. It gets you nice and close to the water. Sometimes they're pretty fast. You often get a pretty decent view depending on where you sit. You get some fresh, you know, salt sea air. Um, I like it. I think it's fun on its own. When I go to Catalina, I look forward to the tender. When I go to Belize, the tender is uh, an attraction on its own as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the tenders are included because otherwise you would be stuck on the ship. So they don't cost extra to take these. And they've just go from the ship to the shore and back again. That's basically what they're all about. Um, and we have videos of most tenders out there. So if you're curious about what is the tender like in Grand Cayman, Belize, uh, you know, Catalina, we've got videos on YouTube, youtube.com slash vacation impossible. You can go check them out and see exactly what kind of you're in store for. Because also some people who have motion sickness concerns, the tenders are often a rockier experience. Uh, they're not as large, and so they're not as stable as the cruise ships. So that's something that, to be aware of before you go. But I really like a tender. That's what they're all about. And uh, in terms of using the tender, generally the process is you might have to go get a sticker up on like Lido deck or something and then they'll call them out like zone so sticker number 25 you can now go down just so that it's not a whole cluster of people and then after a certain point in the day they normally stop using the tender uh, sticker process because so few people want to leave the ship that you can just go down and walk on to something uh, if you are platinum or diamond then you do have the option of getting a 
a tender earlier without the sticker process. When you arrive in your cabin, you get a welcome letter for a Platinum and Diamond guest, and it will actually give you instructions to follow about how to get early access to the tender. Uh, so sometimes it's just like there's an hour window. It, like in Catalina, the tenders are pretty frequent. So there's normally not much of a delay. So if you want to go right away, there's this hour window where you show up at a particular location and they escort you on to the tender, avoiding the wait. Um, but other areas like Cabo San Lucas, where the tendering is a little slower and uh, it can get a little backed up, they'll normally have a meeting location for most of the day you can go to to get accelerated tender service. So that's just how that works. We recently received a question, which was rather interesting. And again, this is from someone who has not gone on a cruise before, so we're happy to explain it in advance. It's another Carnival Basics topic. Are excursions included? And they are not. That is the simple answer. Excursions cost extra, but they're not always necessary. There are certain ports you go to where you don't necessarily need to take an excursion. You could have a lovely time on your own. A great example is Grand Turk, where there's a free beach just to the left of the wharf. When you get off the ship, keep to your left and you'll end up at a free beach and it's lovely. Mahogany Bay, if you get off, keep to your right. You go over a couple pedestrian bridges, free beach. It's fantastic. So there are different ports where you can do that. Kauai in Hawaii, there is at the port a free shuttle that takes you to a mall that is right next to a free beach. So certain ports, you don't necessarily need an excursion. But if you do decide to do an excursion, uh, it, 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 they're not included. So you book them on the ship, you can do it on the Carnival Hub app, or you can go down to the excursion desk. Uh, and if that's closed, you can just go to guest services, they can sell you excursion tickets there. They'll give you a ticket, um, or if you order it in the app, they'll deliver it to your cabin overnight. And it will have instructions about where you need to go and when to go on that tour or whatever the excursion is, where you need to meet up at what time to go and have your fantastic adventure. I recommend using carnival excursions for the most part because those are guaranteed that the ship will wait for you. If you book something privately and it runs behind, if it gets a flat tire or something like that, the ship will not wait for you. And so that's important to know. The one place where I absolutely recommend doing a private excursion is Mahogany Bay. Mahogany Bay, you can have a fine free time, but if you want to go to Daniel Johnson's Sloth and Monkey Hangout, which is fantastic, and we're going to have videos coming out of that about that pretty soon. We've already teased little bits here and there in podcast clips and some pictures on Instagram, but it is an absolutely fantastic thing. They're very professional, responsible, and it's a very good deal. I can't recommend them enough. So there's excursions based on your cruise ship, but those also ones you can do privately. You can book it in advance with Daniel Johnson. You do it through Facebook, uh, but others have websites. And some you can just go to, the, go to the port and find something. But your experience may vary. I recommend doing research in advance if you're going to go and do your own thing because there could be gypsy cabs out there or other dodgy practices. You want to take care of yourself and be careful. So if you're going to go outside of the official carnival excursions, do your research beforehand so you know what you're getting yourself into. We see this question all the time. Sometimes people ask us, sometimes we see it in Facebook groups or on Cruise Critic. Is bottomless bubbles worth it? It's a very simple answer. If you see yourself having more than three cans of soda per day, it's absolutely worth it. If it's less, then it's probably not worth it for you. I'm a soda fiend. I absolutely love it. That's probably why I'm not in better shape, but it is uh, fantastic. So I will often get bottomless bubbles. Um, and so the idea is once you have your third drink of soda, you're ahead of the game and you're saving money. That's how the math works out. If you get a can, 
you know, you're you're looking at like 225 or something plus tip or whatever. We're bottomless bubbles. It's a set amount per day that is uh, less than three cans. And they, they raised the price on that not too long ago, but it's still three cans is the magic number. If you're going to have more than that in a day, then then that's great. You have one with lunch, you have one with dinner, and one at some other point, you know, uh, in the day, and you're coming out ahead. So there have been sailings where it made great sense for me and sailings where it didn't actually. So, for example, um, uh, I think it was maybe when I was on the Sunshine or something else. I think I took a picture. It was actually quite funny. I had my... Uh, statement of account that comes to you at the end of the cruise and it shows all the charges on your account and it includes zero dollar charges because bottomless bubbles has a five minute cooldown period so if you order one can you have to wait at least five minutes before you can order the next can and that makes sense it should take you more than five minutes to drink a can of soda the idea is so that you can't cheat the system and sneak it to your friend you're not supposed to do that and so don't but um I had this printout that was pages and pages of $0 charges for bottomless bubbles. <laughs> and so on that cruise, I absolutely saved tons of money, got a great deal. And for that, it made great sense. But on other cruises, like for example, these four days that I go on, uh, I've taken to not getting it all the time. And one of the reasons is port days. On a, a fun day at sea, it makes perfect sense because you know you're on the you're on the you're on the ship the whole day, so you're much more likely to get your value out of it. On our sailing to Hawaii, where we had five sea days in a row, which were glorious, by the way, uh, I got great value out of that, and it made perfect sense. But on these four-day trips, basically you get two days at a port, Catalina and Ensenada, and then one day at sea, and then the other day is just kind of lost to travel. So. If you're spending much time in port, you're not on the ship consuming soda. So that might be something to factor in. Uh, okay, yeah, I'll have more than three cans a day on a sea day, but are there many sea days on this sailing? Am I planning on doing an excursion that's going to take six hours, four hours, eight hours in a port where I'm not on the ship, you know, having soda all day long? So that is sort of one of the questions that you can ask yourself to decide for yourself, is bottomless bubbles really the best idea for you. And so really the magic number is three. The experience is slightly different because when you have bottomless bubbles, they'll give you a glass that, you know, they'll put some ice in and they'll fill it up with soda. You can say no ice or light ice, whatever, heavy ice if you like. Uh, whereas if you just buy a can individually, they'll give you a can and then a glass of ice and you kind of manage it yourself. So per serving, you know, it's, it's not always a one-to-one -one relationship depending on how much ice you get. But uh, it's also our understanding that you can bring your own container and ask them to fill it up if you have bottomless bubbles. So uh, that kind of uh, skews the math a little bit as well. We haven't really done that uh, just because we like to travel light. Uh, but it's something I've been thinking about giving a try, especially since one of our first platinum gifts was this tumbler. It might be kind of cool to have that on the ship. I don't know. But uh, so bottomless bubbles, your, your, your mileage may vary, but those are some of the things to consider. Three cans a day and watch for those port days, see if it makes sense. One of the things we love to do with Vacation Impossible is try to give you tips on how to get the best value out of your vacation, whether you're taking a cruise or flying somewhere for a land vacation, whatever it is. So one of the things I wanna talk about, and I've talked about parts of this on my blog before, um, but how do you get free upgrades for things? This is some general advice that can apply to a lot of different situations, and they're not guaranteed to work, but you definitely should do at least this if you want the chance of getting an offer of an upgrade. In fact, I just recently wrote something on our blog about getting upgraded to an exit row on an airplane. So again, vacationimpossible.tumblr.com, you can read all about that. So 
One of the first things you can do to try and get a free upgrade is join the loyalty program of whatever it is that you're doing. Whether you're flying with WestJet or taking an Amtrak train or on a Carnival cruise ship or whatever it is, join whatever loyalty program is available that doesn't cost you anything. And, you know, enter that loyalty number when you make bookings in the future. That is one of the ways that they kind of get to know you and they get a sense that you're the kind of person they might want to really make happy and invest. You could be kind of an unofficial brand ambassador if you really like it. I've convinced more than 10 people to go on cruises that wouldn't have otherwise because they made a great impression on me. And so they also track your repeat business. And so that is a good thing. That, that helps. And increases the likelihood that you might get something offered. Uh, another thing that you can do is whenever possible, as long as it is the same or better cost, book directly with the company that you're dealing business with. I go on Expedia and I kind of showroom, which is kind of ironic um, because, you know, they say that in the retail space, retail is getting pummeled by online because someone will go to a Best Buy and look at the TV and then they'll go buy the, buy the TV on Amazon or something. And that's called showrooming. That's when you use the store as a showroom to view the product that you're just going to buy online. And that's a whole different conversation about the economics of that. Um, but ironically, I use the Expedia website or maybe the Flight Center website to do showrooming for flights. Uh, and not every airline is on those services. For example, Southwest is not on Expedia. So it don't necessarily give you the full picture, but it gives me a great place to start. And I can kind of see what some of the prices are and see if they're competitive. So I'll look at a bunch of different airlines, then I'll check one or two extras that I know aren't there. Then I, I'm only checking very few sites. Um, but when it comes time to book, if I can get the same price or a better price booking at like westjet.ca or delta.com or whatever instead of Expedia, book direct, direct every time if you want a free upgrade. Now Expedia has recently started their own kind of membership loyalty thing. I think it's like a year and a half it's been around you can level up and you get like a little tiny little bit of cash back, but that's super minor. I, I'm not convinced it's worth it. Whereas if you book directly with an airline, they're more likely to upgrade your seats. For example, uh, I was flying with, I think it was Delta, and I had a flight uh, ticket that was the cheapest, cheapest of the economy fares. And it was a kind where you don't get to pick your seat in advance. And so... Even when I checked in at the airport, I still didn't have my seat assignment. It's assigned at the gate. And that made me a little bit nervous, but I was saving some money, so I was willing to do it, and I can make anything work, really, on a plane. I don't like the middle seat, but hey, whatever, we'll see what I get. And I ended up getting a free upgrade to their their um, their Sky Premium. I forget what it was called. I did a video about that. You can see it on our YouTube channel. And I talked about it on a previous podcast. This was a couple years ago. Um, but it was partly because I booked directly with them. They didn't offer it to the people who booked through Expedia. And one of the reasons that both hotels, resorts, cruise lines, airlines, they're going to favor you if you book directly because Expedia takes some of that, that money when you make the booking through them. And so that's less money that goes directly to the end company, whether it's Hilton, Carnival, Delta, whoever. And so their profit margin is improved. You're paid the same price either way, but because they want to get listed on the aggregate, you know, Hotwire, Hotels.com, Expedia, Flight Center, whatever, those places often take a little bit of a cut and it cuts into their profit margin. So they're going to like you a little less. I've actually been in situations where um, I've been talking to someone at the gate for a flight or at the front desk of a hotel and they've said something like because you booked with Expedia I can't do X whatever X was 
Um, and so there, there are often more limitations when you book through the aggregator. So that is something to keep in mind. Book direct, you're more likely to get that kind of an upgrade offer at a hotel, flight, whatever. Uh, another thing I think that helps, and I'm not sure necessarily if it helps with upgrades necessarily, but it's just a good idea, is having uh, a trusted traveler program like Nexus. If you're Canadian or American and you're traveling to the other country frequently, the Nexus program is fantastic. It's $50. It lasts five years. You get a card that basically stands in as your passport, and it's a much faster process when you're passing through customs. If you're going through a land crossing, the, the Nexus lane is almost always faster. Uh, at airports, it's almost always faster. Nexus includes TSA pre-check. And so my theory about this is, because you're the trusted traveler and they basically have this extra security level around you, they know you better, they might be more likely to offer you things. For one thing, you get checked in faster, you get to the gate faster. If they, if they make some sort of an offer, you're there sooner to take advantage of it than the guy who's still going through the regular security lineup because he doesn't have TSA pre-check. But also, you know, if they want to put somebody on an exit row and maybe they're figuring it out in advance before boarding the plane, maybe the guy they know something more about and they have more faith in and trust in as a trusted traveler might be more likely to get that upgrade to the position that includes some responsibility, for example. So I recommend that. Uh, I also recommend checking in early for whatever it is, whether it's a cruise or, um, you know, your, your, your train ride or your plane ride, whatever it is, checking in early is great for a couple of reasons. With, uh, with your cruise, you know, paying it off early, checking in early, um, you might be more likely to get an upgrade offer because you're not still owing the money and, again, they know more about you and they're connected to you. You know, uh, they got your email and your phone number and they can reach out to you in different ways to offer that upgrade. Uh, it might be linked to your loyalty account, which often drives upgrades as well, as I already talked about. So checking in early gives them that opportunity. Um, and again, if you're uh, an agent at a gate working for an airline and maybe you have an extra spot in first class and they're standby people, maybe you're going to want to take somebody from economy and bump them up to first class and then give the standby person the economy seat. Well, as soon as you might know that, there, you know, you're going to want to look at who's there and you're going to want to get on the little loudspeaker and say, you know, Mr. So-and-so, Mr. Jones, please come up to the gate. And that's how you come up and that's when they'll often say, hey, would you be interested in an exit row? Would you be interested in a free upgrade to first class? Whatever it is. So checking in early and being there early allows you to be there for those opportunities. As well, if you check into your flight exactly 24 hours before the flight, which is normally when you can check in online, sometimes an upgrade offer will pop up. When I've been flying with uh, WestJet or Alaska or American, I believe, I've had different opportunities pop up. Upgrade to first class for $35, $50, $75, $99. Whatever the price range for you is that makes sense, um, generally that's like when that offer that comes with a nominal fee uh, will come up and sometimes I've gotten amazing opportunities to upgrade to first class for like $25 and that was absolutely worth it uh, in my experience so checking in early absolutely helps and like I said be there early because that could be when the opportunity first comes up they're not gonna wait for the guy that shows up at the last minute and upgrade that person to first class they're gonna hold the the you know the economy seat for the person that might be a no-show uh, also just be nice just be polite, you know, uh, uh, say thank you, say hello, have a smile on your face, think positive thoughts, the power of positive thinking will help you, but also the fact that your demeanor is friendlier, I mean, 
if you were going to go up to someone and offer them something, would they be more, would, would you want to approach someone scowling or someone smiling? Who are you going to want to talk to? Probably the smiling person, as long as they don't look crazy, you know? Um, I was a cashier at a grocery store for a few years, putting myself through college. And sometimes they would give us free things to give away to people. Uh, balloons for kids or whatever, a beach ball, something like that. And I really enjoyed it when that opportunity came up. I had a lot of fun doing it. But the number of people who said no to stuff was actually quite surprising. Even when it was completely free. Hey, would you like a free, free beach volleyball? Oh, no, no. Why would I want that? Or they wouldn't believe me that it's free. Well, how much does that cost? I'm like, it's free. I said it was free. And so all of a sudden I find myself doing this sales pitch to somebody to give them something that is absolutely free and, in my opinion, is a nice thing to have. And, like, what? Why, why is this becoming more like work? This should be the funnest part of my day. And so just imagine that if you're a flight attendant and you have the opportunity to upgrade someone, you don't want to go to someone that you think is going to be a harder, more difficult conversation. And people generally don't want to reward bad behavior. So, you know, if someone says, hey, welcome aboard, and you're like, whatever. Do you really think they're going to upgrade you? Or someone says, welcome aboard, and you say, thank you. That's good. Also, um, the, you know, I've read many different articles and, and different things. I've even spoken to some people who are flight attendants, and they talk about their pet peeves. And one of the big pet peeves is people who ask inane questions or just constantly bombard them with questions. You know, it's fine to be curious. Hey, are we flying over Sioux Falls right now? I don't know. What city is that in the distance? I don't know. You know, maybe if you've got a screen in the seat in front of you, you can look it up on their map or whatever. But don't don't monopolize the flight attendant's time with that sort of stuff and just try to be helpful and accommodating. You see a little old lady struggling to get her, her luggage into the overhead compartment. Help them out. Whether you believe in karma or not, there's the possibility that a flight attendant's going to see you do that and be like, well, that's a nice person. And they want to reward that kind of stuff because you just made their job easier. People are going to want to give free things to people who make their jobs easier, not harder. So whenever possible, if you can find a non-obtrusive way to be easy, then that's more likely to get rewarded for a variety of reasons. So just be nice and polite and don't waste their time. And of course... A great way to get free upgrades is to travel a lot. <laughs> the more you travel, the more lottery tickets you're buying, basically, in the in the upgrade lottery. Um, but also, you know, you level up in the loyalty programs. You get experience, and so you're, you come off as a bit more professional, and you know what to do. You're not all confused and wasting their time. You know, you get straight to your seat. You know where your seat is. You don't have to ask them, where's my seat? You know, experience breeds competence, and competence breeds, I think, respect. Uh, so that helps, but also, you know, leveling up. So people often ask us, why do we always cruise with Carnival? Well, for one thing, um, they're fantastic and lovely, and they also have the largest fleets, so the most sailings, and some of the best prices. But another reason is we level up in their loyalty program. And so now that I'm platinum, I get on the ship sooner. I get my cabin ready sooner. I get gifts every time I sail. I get, you know, I get a pin with the ship name and the year on it. Uh, on this sailing, I got a nice backpack. You know, uh, on, on longer sailings, you get the member parties and other different perks. So traveling more helps in a variety of ways, leveling up and having more experience about it. So, I mean, if you have the means to travel more, of course, that that's one of the ways. And so that but that's interesting and worth thinking about, because if I'm going to pay for a first class or business ticket and that's going to cost me as much as a whole other trip, maybe flying economy and going more often is actually kind of the smarter thing because then I might I might get an upgrade. 
as well. I get to travel more that way. So, I mean, that's full of win. So those are just some basic tips kind of across the board about how to potentially get free upgrades in a variety of different programs. No guarantees. Your mileage will vary, but they're good things to try. And honestly, I think you're just going to have a better time if you approach it that way. You're not going to be wondering if you got hosed uh, and you're, you know, you're going to be hopefully, I think, a happier person taking some of these approaches where you're not wasting time and you're just being friendlier to people. One thing that Sam and I were just talking about this the other day is talking about the different classes of cruise ship. We talk about it every now and then, but we haven't really done much of a breakdown. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about the various classes of Carnival cruise ships. So the oldest and smallest is the Fantasy class. We've been on a lot of those. I'm on one of those right now. So that's like the Inspiration, the Fantasy, the Imagination, the Paradise. Uh, it goes on. There's actually quite a few Fantasy class ships. The oldest being the Fantasy because ships are named, the class of a ship is named after the first of its class. So the first Fantasy class was called Fantasy. Uh, so then moving up, the next size uh, up, I believe, is Triumph, although that's changing because uh, it used to be the Destiny class. Then the Destiny got refurbished. It was cut in half, a new section put in the middle, giant refurb done on the whole ship, and then actually became a new class called the Sunshine class. And so they're doing that to the Triumph and another ship. So they're going to have the Sunshine, uh, the Sunrise, and the Radiance. So that's, that's that class. Uh, you know, there's, there's also the remaining ones. Um, then you get to the spirit class. This is the miracle, the legend, and the spirit. These have lots of balconies, which is nice. So you're more likely to get a, a more cost-effective balcony. Um, and so, and they're bigger, of course, than the fantasy class. But the layout is a little interesting because that's the ship where there's actually a lot on deck too. That's where, like, they might have um, the comedy club. Uh, they might have their main performance stage area. Uh, they might have sort of um, a concourse promenade area where you might get, like, a confectionery or the coffee uh, or, uh, you know, maybe where the, where the internet computers are different things on deck too and then you know on the higher you know nine and ten is where you're gonna have your lido and stuff so that's a little bit different a little interesting um you also have your conquest class which i find to be very similar from triumph i i, I just still need to work on exactly how to notice one from the other and appreciate the differences you've got your splendor class which is a class of a single ship the splendor is a unique ship uh we've done some videos on the splendor we've sailed on her we've talked about her um, but she is a one of a kind and uh, then you get the dream class, which are substantially larger than all the others that I've mentioned. And I really enjoy the dream class. It's probably to date my favorite class of ship. Um, and this has deck five promenade, which has a lot of interesting things. That's where you're gonna find a lot of the trivia things happening and like a lobby sort of thing. Um, and that's where you have a whole bunch of hot tubs that partially extend over the side of the ship, which are awesome. Uh, they'll often have the sea day barbecue on deck five uh, and some shops and things of that nature. Uh, they'll have like a, a, a little stage and a band, maybe uh, uh, either the comedy club and the piano bars normally on deck five. So deck five on a crew on a dream class cruise ship is really quite awesome. And then of course you get up to deck 10 and that's where all the Lido stuff is. And I think it's kind of nice having it split that way. And if you're on a dream class, not a lot of people realize everything that's on deck five. So uh, it, it's really quite cool. I like the dream class quite a bit. 
I already spoke about Sunshine class, and then there's the new thing, the Vista class. So that we are going to be checking out because the newest Vista class is going to be the Panorama. We're going to be showing you that in about a year. We haven't been on the Vista class yet, uh, but they have some pretty amazing stuff. Uh, so that's the big boy. That's the biggest. And so that's just a simple breakdown of the different class names from smallest to largest. We often get asked, what is there to do in Long Beach? So we have sailed out of Long Beach many, many times. And a lot of those earlier sailings, we actually stayed in Long Beach uh, and some of the more recent ones as well. There are some very lovely hotels. The Hilton Long Beach is really quite nice. They've got a very nice restaurant there as well. And the area is somewhat walkable. You could walk a decent walk to like a Walmart and some other shops, some restaurants and things. Um, if you kind of head uphill a little bit, slight incline. Um, but then if you go down from there, uh, there's a laugh factory, which we've never actually been to, but I would really love to go to one day. So that's a comedy club. Of, uh, it's, it's a really famous uh, chain. There's, I think, two or three of them at least. Um, but the one in Long Beach uh, could be a great place to see like an up-and-coming comedian that might you might end up seeing on television or a Netflix special one day. Um, and they've got some nice restaurants uh, in that area which is really quite nice. They've got a overpass that looks like a roller coaster, but is not a roller coaster. So watch out for that, because when I saw that, I'm like, there's an amusement park. And I get there and I'm like, there's no amusement park. Uh, but it's, it's nice and they've got lights and everything. There's a shopping area that's really quite nice uh, that it connects to. Um, so and it's, and it's nicely walkable. There's different restaurants like over by the Hyatt. There's uh, there's like a California Pizza Kitchen and some other places you can go to. And there's a nice sort of um, park area attached to the Hyatt that you can walk through. There's kind of like some lakes and trees. It's a nice little walk. And on the other side of that, there's a nice beach that you can go to, a free beach. Um, and we've been walking there several times. We've actually seen movies and commercials actually being filmed there. So you might end up walking by, you know, a hot set and seeing like an actor or something. There might be some production going on. That's sort of on one side, but that's where, that's like Long Beach, like downtown Long Beach, where the cruise terminal is, is kind of over a bridge to get to that area. Now to navigate around this area, there is a free shuttle called Passport. It's this big red bus and it's free. Uh, so if you're gonna be spending any time in Long Beach, I recommend that you download the, the map online of where the passport stops are and where it goes because if you're staying at a you know at a, at a hotel and maybe it has a shuttle maybe it doesn't that would take you to the cruise terminal the passport uh free shuttle does take you there so that's a good option and it can it can move you around you know go to the restaurant go to the shopping go to the cruise terminal so that's quite nice but then over the bridge over by where the carnival cruise ship is there's the queen mary which we haven't stayed at but that's sort of an attraction of its own uh, I think they've got like a museum and it's also a hotel, but we haven't done that yet. In front of the Queen Mary, there is often different things going on, like a winter festival or something where some games or rides or food trucks or things might be set up. So you never know what you might see there. And another lovely hotel is the Hotel Maya, which is sort of in that vicinity as well. It's a double tree. It can be pricey, but if you're able to get it like half off, it's really quite fantastic. The service is amazing. It feels almost like a Hawaiian resort in its decor. Um, and they've got like pools and and different outdoor areas with like you know torches and things which is really quite lovely and uh, the shuttle service at the Hotel Maya is cool because you can just arrange it all by text and so you could be at that shopping mall on the other side of the bridge and be like hey could we get a shuttle pickup and they'll be like sure you know 
meet you outside the gap or whatever, and they'll come and get you. And that is just fantastic. So if you have the means or the price is right, Hotel Maya is really lovely, and it's a short little walk to the, to the Carnival Cruise Terminal. One key thing that you need to know about Long Beach, though, in terms of cruising, is there are two sort of cruise terminals. One is for Carnival and one's for Princess. The one for Princess is over in an area called San Pedro. So you want to be careful when you're booking shuttles and hotels and planning your trip and taking a taxi or whatever you're doing that San Pedro is Princess. But the Long Beach area, on it's called it's on Windsor Way. The address, I believe, is 231 Windsor Way. Uh, the one that's next to the Queen Mary, that's where Carnival is. So you want to be careful not to confuse the two. Or else you might end up in the wrong place at the wrong time. But, um, yeah, the, the, the area around Long Beach is really quite walkable and it's really quite lovely. So spending a day or two there, not a bad way to spend some time before or after your cruise. Who is my favorite piano bar performer? Well, I haven't seen them all, but I have some favorites that I absolutely want to recommend. Natalie Carboni is my absolute favorite. She's amazing. Um, she's She's got this amazing voice. Like, it doesn't always feel like a full sing-along just because she's got this powerful, powerful voice. You just want to sit there and listen to it. She can give some of the best, like, uh, female vocalists that I've ever listened to a real run for their money. And she does her own sort of slight interpretation of songs. So that can sometimes make a bit of a challenge for singing along. But they're, they're, they, they make, she makes it so new. There's songs that I hate that she, when she performs them, she does them just differently enough that it's actually really enjoyable. I can't stand Justin Bieber. She covers Justin Bieber, and I'm in awe, and I'm enjoying it. So I, I can't recommend her enough. She's based out of Australia, so she's often sailing on the spirit-class ships that are around Australia. But every now and then, you'll be lucky, and she'll be like on the Vista or a fantasy class, uh, you know, sailing out of Florida or something, if you're really lucky. Um, her schedule for the next year or so is, is spirit-class vessels around Australia though which is unfortunate because I don't think we'll be able to see her for a while um, she's got a song on Spotify that I recommend checking out it's called following uh, and that's her own original song uh, she has a CD uh, she's on YouTube she's got some videos there um, absolutely amazing I would go out of my way to take a sailing just because she's on the ship I would absolutely do that if I could make that work financially or scheduling wise I would 100% do that so she is in my mind the best of the best just an amazing talent, and uh, very lucky to have her if you get the chance. Uh, I give the silver medal to Gustavo, sometimes known as Gustavo de Mexico. He is hilarious, and he's talented too. Uh, he can take any song uh, or, or a surprising selection of songs that you wouldn't think of, like songs that don't even have a piano component to them. And he'll do them on the piano, and it'll blow you away. Like some of the Stone Temple Pilot songs he does. Uh, a couple other things. You're like... Uh, wow, I like. there's no piano in the original version of that song, and you make it work with just the piano in your voice. So he's hugely talented in regards to just being a musician, but also as an entertainer and, frankly, a comedian, he's hilarious. And he can be a little abrasive. That's part of the shtick. And so if, if you're okay with that and if you, if you can kind of, uh, you know, adapt to that, then you'll have the time of your life. He's absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, when you walk into his piano bar, uh, he, he always uh, kind of goes, like, hey, new people, and acknowledges them. Uh, then when people leave, he, he, he kind of makes a little bit of fun. He's like, oh, wash your hands, you know, if you're going to the bathroom or whatever. Uh, and it is, it is fun, both with Natalie and Gustavo. The times I've sailed with them, I would spend every single night in the piano bar and if that was the only thing i did on that cruise i would still be totally happy um and i guess the bronze i would have to give in terms of people who are still active uh christine hetfield she plays a fiddle 
and the piano, and it is amazing. And she does a cover of Dynamite Hack's version of Boys in the Hood that will just... It's hilarious. You absolutely have to see it. If you're ever on a ship with Christine Hetfield, um, stay in the piano bar until she does Boys in the Hood. Uh, request it if you can. It's fantastic. And, you know, Devil Goes Down to Georgia. Other things that involve fiddles are absolutely amazing. She creates her own backing tracks, so she plugs her phone into the system and then fiddles and sings. Uh, and then she'll switch back to the piano when appropriate for another song. So she's fantastic as well. Um, so really, the... Components for me that make a good piano bar entertainer is raw talent and sort of that comedy entertainer piece. You know, uh, Natalie Carboni tells personal stories and she's she's very fun to interact with, uh, you know, as as audience member. And so those things are great. It's I mean, I don't want to say easy because I can't play the piano, <laughs> but it's easy to go up there and sing a lewd song and for people to think that that's the most inventive thing in the world. Uh, one thing that drives me up the wall sometimes is some of the shtick is just lame, <laughs> in my personal taste opinion. So, like, and like here's an example. Christine uh, Hetfield, I absolutely adore her. She's fantastic. But one thing she does is whenever somebody comes in, she goes, holy ship, look who it is. And it's like, <sighs> it's funny the first couple times you hear it, it doesn't hold up. But... You know, Gustavo shouting, new people! He's always so welcoming, and the people are always so happy, and it's not really a joke. It's honestly welcoming these people that that he can do a million times, and it's still fine. But some of that other stuff, and you know, there's some songs out there like Alice and the song about a cat and some other things that may or may not offend people. It's only for the adult stuff. Um, I think that performers who can do very well um, for all ages helps as well. Oftentimes the piano bar will have a dedicated time where it's all ages and then later it goes adult. And with someone like Natalie Carboni, you don't really notice the transi transition. You know, she'll do songs from... You know, with, with, with like a, like a, a songs that were made in like part of a Disney movie or some other thing. And, you know, um, it's just, it, and it sounds great. And you're having a great old time. And then it, it's not until like afterwards you realize like, oh, that's kind of like a kid's song. Like, wait a minute, it might have been. Um, but she's just so talented that you're in awe uh, and enjoyment of the raw talent that you're, you're sucked into the, the, the song. And it's, and it's just so fantastic. So I think that kind of diversity and flexibility is fine. Um, I've seen piano bar performers who were just... Lounge Lizard isn't really what I'm going to say because it's almost like I wish they were that good. <laughs> but like they would just vamp so much. They'd sing a couple of bars and then talk for like forever and then sing a couple of bars and talk for forever. And it's like they never get any sense of momentum in the song. You never really get to hear the song. Um, and, and that can be, you know, like throwing in a little bit of humor is fine. But where it's like the 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 music is like 10% of what you're what you're hearing that's where you go too far and i've i've encountered that and so you know and i've heard plenty of fine middle of the road piano bar performers there's nothing wrong with them you know but they didn't blow you know the doors off the place like like christine and gustavo and natalie do but uh man i think every time you're on a cruise ship go and check out whoever's in the piano bar because you never know when like I went, I went to go see Natalie and I wasn't expecting anything. Um, I was with Mike and he was like, hey, let's go check out the piano bar. We were doing our own thing, but we were going to meet up in the piano bar. And I was like, okay, well, I said I would meet him there, so I'll go. And I went in and I, I just kind of sat in the back in the darkness. And I was like 30 seconds into the first song. I was like, um, I don't know. I think it might have been a Sarah McLaughlin song. I, just, I remember thinking that she, sound, like she sounded as good uh, or better than Sarah McLaughlin. And like for me, that's a huge compliment. Because I think that Sarah McLaughlin sounds amazing. She's one of my favorite female vocalists of all time. And I was just sitting there. And it, I, yeah, it, it was, 
I've, I've heard the expression, like, someone can blow the doors off a place, either with a great speech or a great performance. And it was like, when I sat down, because, like, I find that when the people use that expression, they blow the doors off the place, it's because it's unexpected. You know, you go in to see Pavarotti or, you know, whoever, some, some amazing person, uh, you know, uh, even a, a Josh Groban or somebody, and you sit down and they do a great job. Well, that's fine, but you're expecting a pretty good job. So when I, when I think of blow the doors off a place, it's like you sit down and don't expect much and you're just completely blown away. And I was like, I was 45 seconds of sitting down and listening to her sing and I'm like, I need to spend every free second I can here because this is some amazing talent that I am getting at a marginal cost of nothing, nothing but my time. I mean, yeah, okay, these things are all included in the cruise price that you pay, but in terms of like hearing one more song, watching one more performance, doesn't cost you anything but your time after that point. And I just was so amazed since so I was there every time. Um, and I really wish I could have that opportunity again, but go in and listen to a couple of songs, two or three songs at least. Let them jump a couple of genres. Sometimes they might be doing a song they're not that strong in because it's been requested. Somebody really wants to hear it. Um, so give them like a two or three song uh, chance at least, and you might just get completely blown away, and it could make your entire vacation. The cruise with Natalie, the cruise with Gustavo, those were the highlights of those trips. And one of those trips, I went to Atlantis. So, and I spent $200 to go to Atlantis, and I had a great time. But when I think back to that sailing, do I remember Atlantis? I remember Atlantis second. I remember the piano bar performer first, because they were that good. So if you can find one of those diamonds in the rough, then that is just fantastic. Give it a try every time. Um, you know, you might be disappointed more often than you're blown away, but when you're blown away, it makes an impression that sticks with you. So... On that very positive note, I think we'll wrap up this uh, episode of the Vacation Impossible podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I want to give a shout out to uh, a nurse at Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster, British Columbia, Canada. She was looking after my mom who was hospitalized with a case of pneumonia. My mom's doing better. Thank you for your concern. Um, but she just took great care of my mom. Uh, we got to talking and she actually <laughs> very nicely said that she thought I had a nice voice, which was was really quite flattering. Uh, and so I did refer her to the Vacation Impossible uh, 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 podcast. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you're listening, I just want to say thank you uh, for taking such great care of my mom when she wasn't doing well in the ER of the Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster. And uh, also just for, um, you know, you brought some light into, uh, you know, some, some dark times for my family, for my mom, uh, and, and that nice compliment and uh, being able to talk about something that was a, you know, that wasn't uh, about the sort of crisis that was going on, even for just a moment. It really made a difference. And so I just really want to say a very sincere thank you. Uh, I believe that nurses should be acknowledged right along with policemen, firefighters, and uh, armed services personnel. Uh, I really think, you know, the thank you for your service that we're, we're getting very good, I think, as a culture about saying to people who serve in the military and trying to, you know, acknowledge police officers. Like, for example, um, just to get on a slight tangent here, uh, I've been on 20 cruises now, and I go to the comedy club every cruise many, many times, sometimes three, five times a night. And so I've probably seen well over 100 comedy shows. And I've seen ones where they will interact with the audience. And they'll often ask them, well, what do you do? Because, you know, that is just something that you can easily start to engage on. And years ago, when I first started cruising, someone would say, police officer, they might get booed. 
or groans or something. And just last night, uh, somebody was like a police officer and there was a boisterous round of applause. And I really like seeing that. These are people who put themselves on the line to protect other people. Police officers are, of course, humans, so they're good ones and bad ones out there. But in terms of the job, uh, it is um, it is largely thankless. And so for me, you want to talk heroes. People who are in the armed services, you know, you can you can dispute the value of these conflicts and whether or not certain ones have merit or not. But the people that volunteer to protect us and just go with the, go with their told uh, to protect our freedom and potentially save lives and, you know, peacekeepers, things like that. Absolutely. Firefighters do a very similar thing of running into a burning building to save people and property. Huge respect for them. Police officers walking the streets every day and night. Uh, you know, I've known several police officers, you know, city police officers, federal police officers, and I've, they've always been um, some of the most honorable people that I've met. And so really thank you to people in those industries. But I really think that when we think about these people, we got to include nurses and probably teachers as well. These are people who uh, it is too thankless a job in my mind. Uh, and they do the stuff that, frankly, I don't know that I could ever do. And I just can't thank people in those professions enough. So uh, in particular, I don't want to I don't want to mention you by name. I don't embarrass anyone. I didn't get your permission to talk about this. But I just want to say thank you so much for um, bringing some light into uh, it was a difficult time uh, for both myself and my mother and my family. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I hope that you did check out the podcast and you subscribed and that you're enjoying this right now. Um, and so, yeah, if you are enjoying this podcast, or hell, if you just want to hate listen to it and you don't like it, go right ahead. Uh, you can find us wherever podcasts uh, are available. So however you're listening to us now, please subscribe and continue listening to us. Some places you can find us include iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play. We're all over the place. If you see a podcast uh, platform and we're not on it, please let us know. We'll get ourselves added. Uh, you can email us if you've got topic suggestions or questions uh, or just want to give us any kind of feedback. That's team advocationimpossible.ca. And of course, this whole thing started with our YouTube channel. So you can find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash vacation impossible. We recently passed the thousand subscriber milestone on YouTube, which enables a whole bunch of additional functionality. So it's a really important milestone. I just want to say thank you to everyone who subscribed and supported us. You know, the people who like the videos, comment on the videos, uh, interact with us, all that kind of stuff. It makes a huge difference. And I just want to say thank you. And to our audio listeners, if there's an opportunity for you to give us a like or a review in whatever platform of choice that you're using, if you're on iTunes, whatever, uh, that would really help. Those sorts of things really uh, improve our ability to be discovered by other people. So if you found something here that you enjoy, uh, by, by sharing it, by liking it, you're helping hopefully other people find something positive or informative that they can enjoy as well. And so thank you so much for that. Uh, we are on Instagram. We're Vacation Impossible on Instagram. So you can check us out there. We're upping our game there. Uh, one of our members, Mindy, has recently taken over uh, our Instagram account. She's been doing some fantastic work with that. She's been pulling pictures from uh, our Europe trips and stuff like that. And uh, she's been writing up these amazing descriptions that, frankly, could be great blog posts in their own right. Uh, so we've really been upping our Instagram game. I want to say thank you to Mindy for taking over. Uh, my phone glitched out and I didn't have Instagram for a couple of weeks, so I couldn't manage the account. I asked her to take over and she just did such a better job that I said, hey, could you, would you be willing to continue? And she was. So thank you for that. Uh, and uh, I do have a blog I mentioned a couple times in this podcast. It's on Tumblr. So that's vacationimpossible.tumblr.com. And we're all over the place. We're on Vero. We're on Snapchat. Not that we know how to use it. We're on Flickr, but we're scaling down our Flickr involvement. 
Uh, you know, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. On Twitter, we're at Vacay Impossible. That's another great way that you can reach out to us if you have a topic suggestion, a question, whatever. And uh, I just want to say uh, thanks again to the Stupid Robot Fighting League for sponsoring this podcast. This is our first time ever uh, having a, a sponsorship, so that's very exciting. And again, I do want to recommend everybody check them out on YouTube if you want to see some uh, stupid robots fighting each other with some funny taunts. Uh, these guys are super professional. It's very funny. It's unlike anything else I've seen on the internet. I highly recommend you check out at least uh, one of their videos. It'll it'll surprise you. It's kind of like Battle Bots, but like a little bit more uh, a little bit more grunge maybe. I don't know if that's the right word. But they're hilarious and they're great supporters of the podcast. So thank you, thank you. Uh, one thing we are thinking about doing, possibly, especially given some positive feedback we've gotten on the podcast recently, is the idea of taking the podcast monthly. We had started the podcast with this sort of rule we imposed on ourselves that we would only record while on location while traveling. We thought it would be an interesting and novel approach for a travel podcast, and uh, that way we also let ourselves off the hook without having a regular schedule. Um, but I'm starting to think with some of the positive feedback that maybe we start doing these monthly. So um, let me know. Uh, contact me on uh, email, Twitter, or however you'd like, Facebook, whatever it is, uh, and, and uh, let us know. Do you, do you think that we should stick with only recording when we travel on location, also having potentially noise issues when we do that? Uh, or would you like us to be more regular, maybe having a once-a-month podcast? Would that be something you'd be more interested in? Please reach out and let us know. Other than that, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I hope you have enjoyed this, and we look forward to seeing you next time on the Vacation Impossible podcast.